Hello, everybody. My name is Peter Nickel. I'm the ex-CEO and director of InstaCluster, and I'm very happy to be here today with Dr. Michael Meskes, who's the founder of Creditive and the ex-CEO of Creditive and the current CIO of InstaCluster. Hello, Michael. How are you today? Hi, Peter. I'm doing well. How about yourself? Very well, indeed. Thanks. Very excited to be talking about one of our favorite subjects, which is open source technology. And the first question I have is, tell us a little bit about yourself. But my main question is, how did you get into the world of open source at a time when open source was maybe not that popular? <laughs> yeah, so uh, I'm kind of no timer there. You, you're right. Uh, I got into open source in the early 90s when I was still at uni working at my PhD. And I was running some computer systems there, finding some software on the internet that helped, that was freely available. I had a closer look into it, fixed some bugs, got into contact with people, resubmitted those patches. Back then, it was more like just sending an email. And then we switched from Unix to Linux, which was fairly new by the time, uh, got working on that one, figured there's so much software still needing to be packaged, started packaging software, working on more areas of open source. So gradually got into the motion there. And just to give you an idea how it worked back then, um, when I became a Debian developer, I just shot out an email to the project lead and told him, hey, look, I would like to contribute to Debian. And I hear this pick a package of software that I would like to do for Debian. And here's some bug fixes I like to do. And got an email back with my account details for the master server. It just said, please change the password. That's it. Nowadays, it's all more formalized, way more people. But back then, it was a close-knit community where everyone knew each other. And we were all working on getting those pieces of software to build a full system. And then because I was working on database theory and database science for my PhD, I got into the open source databases as well. Roughly about the time when Postgres was released to the world as open source software, or it was open, called open source back then, or free software, whatever you prefer. So I got into contact with the first guys doing this and joined the project in something like 96. Mostly out of personal interest and because that Unix-like operating system, that real relational object, object relational database really helped what I needed and could help so many other people and I wanted to help giving it to them. And tell me, how did all of this lead to the formation of Creditive? It didn't really lead to it. So I had two lives. One was the open source life, one was the business life. And then due to some circumstances with my job and my private life, it just happened that a friend of mine and me, well, I was running the office in the area and he was working for me, as I said. So we figured, well, let's try our own. And we started our own company. With a prior job, we were working in quality assurance, quality management in IT. And it's quite natural a step to go to open source because back then and even now, the quality of open source software is much better than what you get from proprietary vendors. So we started with a quality management thing and then immediately after a couple of months moved into open source as a second leg and eventually abandoned uh, quality management completely and only did open source for the rest of it. Got it. So most of my career I've spent in, in proprietary, licensed, closed source software, call it whatever you like. 
And for a lot of uh, customers who are not familiar with open source, a couple of the key questions that they always think about. One, if it's free, is it any good? And two, who's going to support it if it's just something I can download for free? Yeah, so let's start with the first argument here. If it's free, is it any good? There has been this survey every year. I don't know if it still exists, but for years and years, the major point people were saying why they switched to open source with some piece of software was saving license cost. But eventually, like in the last decade, it shifted completely in the other direction. So nobody's talking about license cost anymore. And the number one thing people say, it's higher quality. To me, it's a fairly simple thing. You have literally millions of testers. No proprietary software vendor can have that many people doing better testing. And the other thing that to me is really interesting there is the way you can communicate with the developers. The standard development model, like you, you know the waterfall model, right? Where yes. everything just, just goes trickles down. And I used to, in, in some presentation, I used to use a picture I have taken from Niagara Falls where you see what the waterfall results in. There's an awful lot of mist at Niagara Falls, right? Yes. My native tongue is German, and German language has the same word, M-I-S-T, mist. But it mm -hmm. doesn't mean mist, it means crap. <laughs> and that, to me, essentially says what the waterfall model produces, because there is no cycling back. The developer doesn't learn what issue the user has, at least very few of it. So the user can just use it and maybe report a bug, but not talk features. That's the one thing where open source really thrives. And the other one with support, yes, that's exactly the problem we were seeing in the early 2000s when we started getting into this area because we figured, okay, so people are looking into open source, but they need professional help. They need somebody to be available around the clock if it breaks. And that's why we started what we call the Open Source Support Center in 2006, where we bundle a lot of open source pieces and offer SLA-based up to 24-7 support for those pieces. And it could be operational support, it could be break-fix support, but the main thing is, if it doesn't run, give us a ring and we help you fix it, or we even fix it for you. Got it. So you were a kind of a pioneer in the early stages of open source. And based on what you just said, I have a couple of, of follow-on questions. One is, do you feel like open source today is kind of now mainstream and taking that a little bit further do you think that open source in 10 or 20 years is is going to really take over from all forms of proprietary software is it mainstream yes definitely there are not many areas where open source is having well is not having a solution essentially right now we still have proprietary software in some areas and it's still thriving in some areas but in the vast majority of areas of the businesses of the IT industry, open source is really ingrained in everything. And with all the new developments coming up with uh, microservices, with Internet of Things and so on, almost everything in those areas is open source based. Who would have thought like 15 years ago that nowadays almost all handheld devices people use are based on open source instead of some yeah. proprietary piece? So yes, it definitely is mainstream. Um, will it take over completely? I think for a large part of the market, yeah, of the IT industry, yes. I think there will still be areas where you need a differentiator or where the legal requirements are so huge that you cannot really open sources like tax software, for example, or your peer systems are, might be a little bit tricky. There are some areas where it's difficult, 
especially in in the German tax system where you get new laws like what feels like every week, it might be difficult. It might not make sense for a vendor to provide everything as open source. But for everything that's more or less commodity, I would say we're already at the point where most of it is open source anyway. So the trend to open source is kind of like a, a huge train that's impossible to stop at this stage. That's my impression, absolutely. Yes. So just shifting gears a bit, Michael, I noticed that Credit have decided to focus. Um, you've got a lot of open source offerings, but you mentioned that uh, you studied or in your PhD thesis, you were focused on database software. And, and I noticed Credit have focuses a lot on database software, especially Postgres. Can you talk a little bit about why you started focusing on database? Okay, so for me personally, I don't know. I just got interested in it. I still remember being in my second year at uni when I said I would do everything in software but databases, and it completely changed. It's just a very interesting topic in my personal point of view. As for the business or any business, I think the database is just at the core of everything. We are processing data. Without databases, one way or the other, we don't have data to process. There is no real, or there's almost no software that works without having a database of some sort. Everyone relies on databases. And nowadays, with more and more data coming in, with all the big data world, we have more data than ever. But we have to use it, and we have to use it wisely. And to do that, we need databases and related software pieces. And what's the promise, for example, of Postgres? Why would a company want to use Postgres? Does it give them the opportunity to start doing a lot of their critical operations in open source software? Can they move, for example, from Oracle to Postgres? Are they doing this for existing legacy applications or for new applications? There's a lot of questions there, but where do you see most customers moving to Postgres? <laughs> Essentially, it's yes to everything you said. We see a lot of customers starting with small pieces at the edge of their critical applications and implementing new features in Postgres instead of using whatever proprietary system they are still using. But we also see more and more companies making that strategic decision to go away from every proprietary piece they had. It can be Oracle, but it can also be like DB2 or SQL Server, it doesn't matter. They just make the decision to go open source for a variety of reasons. And Postgres gives them the opportunity because it offers all the features you would expect from an object relational database. It even offers some of the features you would expect from a NoSQL database. So feature-wise, it's the most complete software or the most complete database you can find in the open source world. There is only like a small percentage, 2 3% maybe, of workloads that Postgres is not ideally suited for. But other than that, it's a real one-to-one one, one -one replacement. You can just drop it in and be done with it. And even for those 2 or 3%, there is a solution there. There's not one solution for all the needs, but each of those needs, there is a solution available in the Postgres ecosystem. So you can get out of any vendor login you have on the database side by going to Postgres. Yeah, so I mean, it sounds really amazing. It sounds like customers, instead of paying huge amounts of money for proprietary software like Oracle and getting locked into to vendors, 
They now have this great option of being able to download reliable, robust open source software and start implementing it for large scale applications. It sounds just, just amazing. And now there are companies like Creditive who can help them. So, you know, typically in that journey, what are the biggest challenges that customers have? Because nothing is incredibly easy these days. And how does Creditive help them? Yeah, so there, there are a lot of low-hanging fruits where it is in, indeed very easy. But yes, there are situations where there's technology in use that is not exactly compatible. So at the end of the day, you still need manual work to figure out how to switch from one language, you write stored procedures into another. And sometimes people use weird features. I mean, one of the things you do in databases is you have those transactions and you cannot see what happens in a different transaction until it's committed. Way back when I was still doing trainings myself, I had a guy in one of my training classes and he said, wait, are you telling me I cannot see what happens in that parallel transaction? Yeah, right. That's what the system is for. No, that doesn't work because my application depends on it. Okay, mm -hmm. so you don't want to run an application that way. But sometimes you run into situations where the implementation is weird or where they use features that are tricky. So it's not always a just switch over from one to the other, but it's always possible to do a migration. And we've yet to see a migration where the return on investment is not very quick, I mean, or very short. We did a lot of calculations on migration projects we did. And we always had to spread the license cost to a monthly payment to come up with a meaningful number because we never saw, we've never seen a return on investment that took more than a year or at least one year. So, so it's almost always doable. The question is how much do you need to invest? How much resources do you have to put into it? And how far do you want to go? I mean, we've seen more and more customers nowadays who a couple steps at the same time they say, okay, we have this monolith here with that proprietary database, but we want to go microservice on different small pieces of Postgres in the cloud. So they do the whole migration in one go. Obviously, that makes it more tricky, but also gives them a bigger benefit once it's done. So if you plan it carefully, you pick the right application, you have the right partner, and you do it the right way, you can see very, very fast return on investment, less than one year. Absolutely. Less than one year. You actually don't have to be very careful with picking those because less than one year is easy. So now that you've got, you know, you've been in business for nearly 20 years, you've got lots of customers. Can you talk about a couple of customers use cases? What typically have they done with Postgres and how typically have you helped them? I'm not sure if there's any, well, typical use case. Um, I think we've seen over the years, we've seen all the use cases you see in database usage. Some we've helped with migrating the database, some we've helped with just running it. For some, we are more or less uh, the insurance if something breaks, like this big telco company. They do a deployment in the middle of the night, obviously, because nobody's talking then. And one of the database doesn't come up. So they need that fixed before people pick up their phones. They call us, I think it was like three or four in the morning. And we got it fixed before five o'clock. So when people picked up their phones, when they got up, they didn't even notice. So th there are a lot of different areas. We've seen a lot of databases in like in the retail area where you have a, a database server in every shop and you have the distribution going on and you have to manage it from a remote. 
And then sometimes you have those really big systems, 48 or 92 core servers running only one Postgres instance because there's so much in it, such a big database and so many concurrent users that you need that size of a machine. It just depends. There's the whole spectrum is available. Excellent. And I, I noticed also that uh, you, you went through a pretty big change uh, recently, uh, merging with, uh, with InstaCluster. And I think we know InstaCluster is a company that's very well known, mainly for NoSQL, but certainly with a focus on open source, focus on Cassandra, Kafka, and other technologies like Elasticsearch and Redis. Why, from your point of view, Michael, was this a good thing for yourselves and your customers? Yeah, so I think there are two aspects to that. One you already mentioned, InstaCluster is a company really focused on real open source. Uh, we are a company focused on real open source. Both of us have almost complementary offerings. We do the same kind of work with offering operations support or, or support and operations, uh, some consulting and so on. But we are in relational databases and infrastructure-related things like the operating system. While InstaCluster is mostly in NoSQL and unstructured data. Uh, that means by putting things together, we have a much more rounded portfolio. And on the other hand, we have the geographical things where we are also complementary. We are almost completely in Europe. We have a strong office in the US on the East Coast. But other than that, it's Europe. While InstaCluster on the US side is mostly on the West Coast and is strong in Australia, so Asia-Pac time zones, together we can cover all time zones. In recent years, we've seen a lot of prospects and clients asking us for follow the sun type of help. It could be full operations. It could just be support. It could be where they don't care if you follow the sun, they want it 24-7, whatever. But it's difficult to implement from one office only. With the three strong areas of business, it's fairly easy and straightforward for us to give all our clients the opportunity to have someone help them no matter when and no matter where. Especially with some special clients, it makes a lot of sense. So if I get somebody in logistics in my home market, they probably need help in the middle of the night, our time, because they do their IT work in the middle of the night, not while they are carrying the packages out to the clients. So if they run into issues with their systems, it's daytime either in the US or in Australia. So it's fairly easy to help them there. Logistics is a good example. After all, they are shipping parcels all over the globe. So if they are always working, we have some airlines as customers, they are always working. There is no downtime for them because somewhere is always office hours. Yep. And we can have exactly the same. Yes, absolutely. So it's really, the idea of having a broader technology suite and geographical uh, diversity and the ability to support customers in pretty much any time zone, which means more of a global experience. Absolutely. So Michael, that's all fascinating. And, and thank you very much for those insights into the world of open source software. I have one final question, which is for any customer that is not that familiar with open source, you know, maybe they, they're running complex applications, but they're using proprietary software. And they're considering how to make that change to open source with all of the benefits that you have described that goes along with that. What would be your advice for a company that's starting this journey? What are the top three things they need to think about? My advice would be start with the low-hanging fruits. Get some positive feedback there. 
start with new applications, start with restructuring some of the easier ones. Don't start with your major biggest central database system, for example. Get your bearings on how the software works, how to deploy it, how to find the right suppliers, how to find the right people in-house and so on. And once you have the ecosystem set up, then go and tackle the really important pieces. Don't wait for them for like ever, but start with the easier, easier ones so you get a better feel for where you're going. And at the same time, keep in mind that some of those applications you're running probably need some restructuring or some rewriting anyway. Do not think about adding some bits and pieces to your big old monolith. If it's still a COBOL program and it runs, okay, fair enough. But you don't want to find or try to find COBOL programmers 10 years from now. So if you want to rebuild that one and do it in microservices, start with a new one or take it out and make it a new one, essentially. Don't try just adding bits and pieces to that old monolith. Eventually, it will not work anymore and you will not find out where it's where the problem lies. Excellent advice. And it's also great to know that Creditive and Instacluster are going to be around to help companies on this journey. Absolutely. Uh, we, we've been talking today to Dr. Michael Meskes at this OSS Scale podcast. Uh, I'm Peter Nickel. Thank you very much, Michael, for your time today. It's been a pleasure. Thanks for having me, Peter. Likewise.